Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. So last week, uh, I began talking to you about humility. We've, we've been on a series called The Holy Man. Uh, and we've been going through different attributes of what, is it, what does it look like to be a holy man? And again, obviously, uh, I'm talking about men and women. I'm just using the term man to mean mankind. So what does it look like to be the holy man? When, when Jesus told us that when we, uh, went, when we had our salvation experience, it, it tells us that, uh, that the old man is dead. Behold, all things are new, Right? What does the all things are new look like? What is the difference between the old man and the new man? What does it look like to walk as a holy man or a holy woman? What does it look like? So we've been going through some attributes of that. First, we talked about uh, that the holy man is not a pretender, right? That the way to overcome sin, it's not that the holy man is without sin, Everyone knows that we all stumble, we all fall short, we all mess up. The difference is the holy man doesn't pretend that it didn't happen. Because in the exposure of that sin, there's healing and forgiveness. 1 John tells us that if we are willing to admit our sins, then the blood of Jesus comes in and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The holy man is not a pretender. The other thing we talked about is the holy man is not offended right? The holy man is not offended, that, that, that the emotion of offense is actually a lie, that we are either offend, offended because they've touched something that we didn't want them to touch, that something, uh, there's a deficit inside of us that they have exposed that we didn't want exposed, and therefore we become offended, or what they said was a lie, but we uh, aren't are aware of our own identity enough to be able to overlook that lie and be confident in who we are, right? So the, the, we talked about the holy man walks unoffended. Last week, I began talking to you about that the holy man is humble. The holy man walks in humility. And we talked about a few attributes of humility, um, a couple of those were uh, the holy man is confident, right? The one who walks in humility is confident. And we looked at Jesus's life in that. Jesus knew exactly who he was, didn't he? He knew exactly who he was. And in, in, uh, in John, it tells us uh, that, that before Jesus was crucified, the night before he was crucified, it says that he was aware that the devil had already put it in Judas's heart to betray him. He was aware of that. He knew that at that moment that the Lord had given him all authority and all power. That whatever Jesus spoke in that moment would have come to pass. And he was very well aware of his authority. That he had the, the, um, that he had the throne of the universe. Like he had all authority. And in that moment of knowing exactly who he was, what did he do? Anybody remember? He put on a towel and he began washing the disciples' feet. That he was so confident in who he was that he was able to then walk in humility because he didn't need their confirmation. He didn't need their affection. He didn't need their approval. He was already aware of who he was. And because of that, he then was able to walk as a servant. He served, he washed the feet of the very ones whose sins was about to send him to the cross. 
That's the power of humility. And that comes by being confident in who you are. The other attribute we talked about is being teachable. That the one who walks in humility is teachable. Proverbs 12, 15 says, A fool is in love with his own opinion, but wisdom means being teachable. And to be teachable is not to just be teachable by people who are in authority over you or maybe that you realize you know have more wisdom than you. Being teachable is being humble enough to be able to be taught by somebody who is lower than you. By somebody who maybe annoys you a little bit, right? Uh, or somebody who, who is younger than you. Being able to be teachable by everybody. By having a humble spirit, you are able to be pliable, be teachable. Okay, so those were just a couple of the attributes we talked about last week. This week, I want to talk to you about one more attribute of the humble person. Is everybody with me this morning? Amen. All right. One more attribute of the humble person, what it looks like to walk in humility. The humble person, are you ready? Rejoices when others are exalted. The humble person, the holy man rejoices when others are exalted. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel. I'm in Isaiah. Where am I at? Here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 18. I literally forgot where 1 Samuel is. There it is. Okay. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 5. It says, okay, let me give you some context. So in 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 5, David had just killed Goliath, okay? So everybody knows that story, so I don't need to spend a whole lot of time there. But David had just killed Goliath in chapter 17. Then we start in verse 18, where Saul and David begin to speak. And we're going to start here in verse 5. It says, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's office. So the first thing I want you to see here is Saul's posture towards David right here in this moment. David had just killed Goliath and and he comes back to the camp and Saul makes this, this teenage boy commander over an entire army and over an entire section of the army uh, and, and elevates him immediately. So in this moment, Saul elevates David to commander over the men of war. And all, it says all the people welcomed it um, and, Saul's off, and Saul's officers alike. Then it says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistines, women from all over the towns of Israel came out to meet him or meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. They were singing this song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten of thousands. Women always causing trouble here. Ready? (laughs) They were singing. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David Uh, They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll make him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Do you see the immediate 
transition of Saul's heart in this moment. He just went from exalting him to a place of honor and authority. And with, with two sentences, with one moment, his entire, uh, his entire way he looks at David completely shifts. He went from exalting him to then becoming insanely jealous of David. Look at what he begins to do. It says, the very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and suddenly he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. That escalated quickly, didn't it? He intended to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men, and David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of David. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops in battle. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt pain when you see another person promoted? Have you ever experienced pain when you saw somebody exalted, maybe even above yourself? Anybody? Go ahead and answer that with me. Yes. We have all experienced pain at another person's promotion. The question I want to ask you this morning is why? Why do we experience so much pain when we see another person promoted or exalted? Why can we not rejoice, uh, truthfully rejoice, fully rejoice in our heart when we see another person exalted? Why can't we do it? Why is it so difficult? Why do we feel pain at another person's promotion? I have a couple of theories I want to run by you today. Why do we experience pain? Well, let me first, before I do that, let me tell you this story. Back when we lived in the South uh, and we were, we were there in ministry school at the ramp, there was another uh, person in our class. His name was Brandon. And Brandon was kind of a peculiar guy. I love, and, and to this day, I still love Brandon. So I want you guys to hear my heart. Uh, we love Brandon, absolutely. But Brandon was one of those guys who, who uh, especially then, he was one of those guys who maybe tried a little, little bit too hard sometimes. You know what I mean? He was a single guy, young guy, uh, very confident in who he was, sometimes a little too confident, right? And so, so he kind of had this attitude. Um, and so uh, let me give you an example. There, we had just had Malachi, uh, and, and maybe for a few months, we had just had Malachi. We were there at the ramp, and, and, uh, and we were sitting in the back of the building. And Malachi was a little fussy that day, was, was kind of crying a little bit. Amber was trying to settle him down. Brandon comes up to Amber. Let me remind you. Single guy, maybe, maybe 19, 20 years old at the time, something like that, comes up to Amber and says, give him to me. I'll settle him down. Yeah, it was kind of one of those things like, like I got this. You, you're, I know your mom, but 
I know what I'm doing, right? Like, like it was just that kind of thing. And so, so anyways, I can tell you all kinds of fun stories, but we're not going to. So that, this was Brandon. Well, one day, uh, my, my buddy and I, Nick, were, were working at the ramp offices. We were, we were doing some construction there. And we find out that ramp or that, that Brandon uh, was promoted to being on Chosen which is the dance and drama team there at the ramp. And I know, unless you know the day, it sounds cheesy, dance and drama, whatever, you know, but it was like the epitome is where everybody wanted to be. Everybody wanted to be on the team, right? Um, many of you may not know, but I'm quite a dancer. So, you know, back, back in the day, my youth group days, you know, it was, I was, I was quite the dancer. So, so, you know, I, I wanted to be on chosen, right? I wanted to be on the team. Well, again, we were doing construction. We were in there at the office. We find out Brandon gets put on the team. And my first reaction was Brandon. Like, are you kidding me? Like he's the guy who gets to be on the team, you know, like give me your baby. I know what I'm doing guy. You know, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And it was like instantly, like, I just felt this, like, tension of, like, I, I can't celebrate him being promoted because I wanted to be promoted, right? Like, of all people, why did Brandon get the spot and not, you know, at least give it to somebody, you know, whatever. And I, I remember that pain of just, like, I, I just, I can't celebrate his success because there's too much pain inside of me, you know, that I didn't get to dance on stage, Right? I was, I was so upset. I remember experiencing that pain. Why do we feel that pain when others are promoted? Why can we not celebrate other people being exalted? Is it because we don't feel the other person deserved it? Is that maybe why? You know, the, the parable, there's a parable in Matthew chapter 20. I'm not going to get all into it, but the parable uh, goes like this. It says that there was a, a, a landowner who needed to hire some employees. So he goes out into the marketplace and he finds some people staying there and he hires them to come and they agree on a wage that he's going to pay them for a full days of work. And so they come and they begin working on the field. About lunchtime, he realizes he needs some more employees. So he goes back to the market and he gathers some more employees and, and he, he says, hey, will you come and work in my garden? Help me bring in the harvest. And so they come and they work in the garden for half of a day. And then it says at the end of the day, all the workers come to get their wages. And the first people in line are the ones who worked only half a day. And he gives them a full day's wage for only working half a day, right? And then the people behind them that I've been working the entire day think, well, if he gave them a full day's wage, then surely we're going to get a bonus. We're going to get some more money because if they only worked a half a day and got this much, surely us working a full day, we're going to get more. And they come up and they get their money. And when the, when the, the employer hands them the money, it's the same wage that the workers who only worked half a day had received. And they begin complaining, saying, are you going to give us the same wage that you gave those who only worked half a day? And the employer's reply was, why is your eye evil? Because I am good. If I want to be good, what does that mean to you? It doesn't decrease you any. You got the same amount of pay that we agreed on. If I want to be good, what is that to you? So maybe... Maybe we are more deserving than that other person. 
But if the Bible has told us anything, it tells us that there is more than enough to go around. There is more than enough that if the father wants to be good to those maybe who are less than us, then it is his decision to do so. And he has every right to promote even those who maybe are less deserving than you. And that does not mean that you receive any less. So let's debunk that theory right out of the gate. That, that, they, that maybe we have a right to feel pain when other people are more deserving because we don't. If the father wants to be good to them, he has every right to do so. And our eyes should be not evil towards them. What's maybe another reason? The, I think the obvious one is envy, jealousy. We become jealous. We wanted what they had. And now that they have it, and we think we cannot receive it. Have you ever, do you realize that the very first murder in history, the very first murder in all of mankind with Cain and Abel, Abel, that the root cause of that was envy and jealousy. It says that, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. And then it says that Abel brought an offering to the Lord. And, and, it's, it, and it says that Abel's offering was the first of his fruits. It was the best in his livestock. He brought a lamb that was spotless. He brought the best to the Lord. So it can be assumed that Cable, or Cable, <laughs> it can be assumed that Abel or Cain, whatever the name is, that he didn't bring the best. And it says that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but was not pleased with Cain's. And it says that because the Lord was pleased and accepted Abel's, but not Cain's, it, it says that, that Cain then became jealous of his brother. And as many of you know, that story ends with Cain taking a rock and killing his brother because he was jealous over what the other man had received. It was envy, it was jealousy that brought about the first murder of all mankind, which tells us that envy and jealousy is nothing to play with. That envy and jealousy leads to hatred in your heart towards another person. And in the New Testament, it tells us that if you even have hate towards a brother, you have already murdered them in your heart. So, so sometimes when we feel pain, it's because of envy and jealousy. But I think there's even a deeper root to the evil, to the, the pain that we feel. I think there's even a deeper root than envy and jealousy. Maybe, maybe it's because we think, I already mentioned that one. Maybe it's because we, had, we think that we are already, that we are better than the other person. I want to take just a minute and, and, and go back to David and Saul in this moment. So what, what was it that they were singing? David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands. David has tens of thousands. How many people has David killed? In reality, one. He may have killed a few because it does say that, that, that after he killed Goliath, that the Philistines began to run. And then it says that the Israelites chased after them. So there may have been a few more Philistines here and there uh, that he killed. But uh, to our knowledge, to what we know in the Bible, at this point in history, he has killed one person. He has killed Goliath. At this point, Saul was a better warrior than David. You go back, go ahead and pull that scripture up in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I believe. 
First Samuel, First Samuel uh, 14, I'm sorry, verse 47. It says, now when Saul had searched his, uh, I can't read that. Now when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction, against the Moab, Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zoab or Zoba or whatever, and the Philistines. It sounds like a bunch of Star Wars planets. <laughs> and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he was victorious. That David or Saul was no Girl Scout. He wasn't selling thin mints to all these people. He was conquering all of these nations. He, he was, not only was he conquering, he produced in his son, Jonathan, who was, who was linked to David's heart, that him and Jonathan, that David and Jonathan were both extravagant warriors. It says that at one point in time, Jonathan faced the, uh, I think over 20 Philistine men, warriors all by himself. Jonathan was no joke either. And Saul produced Jonathan. So, so Saul, at this point in time, was a greater warrior than David. Saul had maybe, they may be singing the song, but the song, honestly, at this point in time, was not even true. Right? So Saul, at this point, thought, uh, at this point, he, be, he, we, he thought that we, he was better than the other person, and therefore... He was unconfident in who he owned was, right? It goes back to confidence and, uh, and became envious and jealous of David. So it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense that Saul would be jealous because again, at this point in time, Saul is actually a greater warrior than David. Now, as the story goes on, we all know that David becomes one of the greatest warriors in history. And I believe it's because the anointing of the Lord is on him. But anyways, so, so we have all of these theories, but I think, I think even envy, jealousy, the thought of being better than the other person, more deserving, all of those are absolutely issues, but I think there's even a deeper root issue to us not being able to celebrate and rejoice in others' victories. And I'm gonna to get to it right now. In verse eight, I believe it tells us the whole story. Go back to verse eight there, First Samuel. I think it's the next slide. I think we put it in there twice. And verse eight, it says, after they sang the song, it said, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. And then he says this, next, they'll be making him king. This reveals Saul's wound. This reveals the root of why Saul became jealous and envious of David. That next, they'll be making him king. Here's what I believe the root is. Saul was afraid that the people would reject his kingship and give it over to David. I believe the root of, of, of envy, the root of jealousy, the root of all of those things is the fear of rejection. The fear that if they are elevated, then that means I am rejected. If they are promoted, then that means I am demoted and I am rejected. And that all, that any acceptance of the people will be lost. The next moment Saul went from setting David in command to trying to pin him to, a, to the wall with a spear. Because he thought he was going to be 
rejected. The root of Saul's issues was not being able to rejoice. The root of Saul's issue with not being able to rejoice in another man's success, and I believe ours, is the fear of rejection. When Saul heard the song, he has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands, what he heard was, we have found a man more fit to be king than Saul. We have found someone more fit to be king than Saul. And it says later on in that chapter, it says, the more that the people loved and showed love towards David, the more the hatred in Saul grew deeper and deeper. So when other people get promoted at work or other kids maybe make the basketball team and you don't, or maybe get more playing time than you do, or when somebody gets recognized at church for their service, for their willingness to volunteer and to do those things, when, when all of those things happen, when that, that feeling, that emotion of, 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 uh, of jealousy and envy, when we are not able to celebrate their success, I believe it's because we feel we are then being rejected. Does everybody see that? I've said it a thousand times. But I believe it's because we fear that in other people's eyes, they are promoted and therefore we have then received rejection from the people. I believe that's the root. The inability to rejoice in another person's success will always produce jealousy, envy, and hatred. But these are just the symptoms. The root is the fear of rejection. So what is the remedy? How... How do we deal with that? What, what makes us, what brings us to the point where we can then humble ourselves and begin to celebrate somebody else's success? How do I get to a point where I'm excited that Brandon got promoted to chosen? Where I'm actually, actually thrilled for him and, and legitimately excited that he has the opportunity to stand on that stage and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do I, how do I move from envy and jealousy? How do I fight those feelings of envy and jealousy and move into legitimately feeling, uh, legitimately feeling um, ecstatic and excited for the person when they are promoted? I believe the answer is in Ephesians chapter one, verses three through six. Ephesians chapter one, verses three through six. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Making or having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. There it is right there. To the praise and the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. What is the remedy to jealousy, to envy, to the feeling of rejection? I believe this is the remedy. The remedy is realizing that you are already accepted. 
that you are already accepted in the beloved. When our hope and our identity is found in the fact that we are already accepted by the Father just as we are, then we can turn and celebrate others' achievements because we are not fearful of being rejected because we have already been accepted in the beloved. I wrote, I, I, did, I meant to read this at the very beginning. I, I've been writing a little, little excerpt of a description of what it looks like to be the holy man. And within that, I wrote this, that the holy man has no need to prove himself because he has already found approval from the father. The holy man walks in humility and through humility, he is exalted. That the holy man can rejoice in another person's success because he has already been accepted by the father. The holy man has no need to prove himself. He has no need to find validation in other people's eyes because he has already found validation and approval in the father's eyes. When we begin to realize that we were the joy set before him to be able to endure the cross, that he endured the suffering and pain on the cross because we were the joy set before him. When he was dying on the cross, he had us in his mind. He had our approval and acceptance in mind. When we can begin to fully realize that revelation, then we have no need to find approval from every other person on the planet. But instead, we can turn then and rejoice when others are exalted, when others are approved, when others are elevated, even if they're elevated above us because we are settled in the fact that we are already approved, that we don't have to prove a thing. Uh, there's a song uh, that Maverick City sings called Communion. And, I, and there's a, and the, I'm not going to get the words all wrong, but there's a part in the song of the bridge where it says, I don't have to prove a thing because you've already approved of me. You've already been approved. You don't have to work to be approved. You don't have to do all the right things to be approved. You don't have to be sinless to be approved. He's already approved of you. Earlier we took communion. That is the proof of everything that I am saying. That he was willing to go and die on a cross so that you can walk in acceptance and approval. That you have been adopted as sons and daughters. And there is nothing you can do to change that. Nothing you can do to change that. I don't care if you've looked at pornography. I don't care if you've had a divorce. I don't care even if you've had doubts about your own faith in your mind. You can do nothing to change the fact that he loves you and he accepts you and that you have already found approval by the Father because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And when we can begin to walk and that identity, and we can begin to walk in that revelation, then it's easy to celebrate when somebody else is elevated. It's easy to look at them and, and, and be genuinely excited and happy that they have been promoted. And then we can walk in humility, right? We can walk in humility, rejoicing in someone else's success. I'm almost done. We can walk in humility, rejoicing in someone else's success. The holy man is humble and can rejoice 
and someone else's success. And what happens, I've already covered this last week, so hopefully you all remember. What happens when we walk in humility? What does the Bible say happens when you walk in humility? It says, then you will be exalted. That the path to promotion is not promoting yourself. It's not elevating yourself in in your own way. It's actually the path to promotion through the kingdom is through humility. It's through rejoicing in somebody else's success and, uh, and, and being exalted. That when you can properly rejoice in their success, the Bible actually tells you that that is the way to promotion. It's not that God is against you being promoted or exalted. In fact, he tells us how to be exalted and promoted, and it is through humility. Amen? The holy man rejoices when others are exalted. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that we do not have to fight for acceptance, that there is not a war that we have to wage in order to find approval. But God, we are already approved. We already have found approval in your eyes. God, that even when we are rejected by other people, God, that we do not have to be shaken by that because we have found approval in your eyes. And when we, are, when we find our identity in that relationship, in that approval, then we are not shaken by others' disapproval. And we are, not, we are not envious and jealous and harbor hatred in our hearts towards other people because we can legitimately, genuinely rejoice in their success. That their success becomes our success because this is the kingdom. And that's how the kingdom operates. When others are exalted, we are exalted as well. When others have a win, we have a win as well. God, I pray that, that everyone in this room would be able to, to have the grace to walk in humility, would have the grace to understand and have the revelation that we are already accepted in the beloved, just as we are right now in this moment. God, that we would all find that approval from the Father. God, let, let Ephesians 1 sit on our hearts that we have been adopted as sons and daughters and that, that we have found approval in the beloved. God, I thank you, Jesus. God, that you have given us the layout of what it looks like to be the new creation, that old things have died, that when the old man died, jealousy died, envy died, uh, the fear of rejection died, Father. And the new man can now walk in humility and rejoicing in other successes. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. God, we love you so much this morning. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here this week. We love you all so much. Have a really, really fun Valentine's Day. Uh, Guys, do it right today. Uh, And I'm going to try my best as well. We love you all. Uh, We are going to tear down everything, so if you could help us with that, that'd be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next week.